Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. It's been a long road for India in tackling the challenges of COVID-19, but this month there has been some excitement with regard to possible vaccines. At present, there are four vaccines in India in various stages of clinical trials. Bharat Biotech's co-vaccine, a vaccine by Zaidis Kadila, AstraZeneca and the University of Oxford's Covishield, and now Permission has been granted for clinical trials for Russia's vaccine as well. Globally, there are over 150 vaccine candidates in various stages of development, with two major vaccine trials that have been in the news, paused over safety concerns and then restarted. Recently, India's health minister announced that 250 million people in India will be vaccinated by July 2021. So what is the status of the vaccines today and how soon can we expect to be vaccinated? Speaking to us today about the various vaccine candidates and their potential, the challenges India will face in vaccinating a huge population such as ours, and what needs to be done to tackle these challenges, is eminent medical scientist Dr. Gagandeep Kang. Good morning, Dr. Gagandeep, and welcome to the Hindus In Focus podcast. Good morning, Zubeda. Thanks for having me here. Doctor, today we're going to be speaking about the vaccine situation in India. So much has progressed uh, over the last few months. So we'd like to get your views on what the progress has been so far and what we can look forward to in the future. With two vaccine candidates that are being tested in India moving into phase three of clinical trials and another two candidates in phase two, how far are we from production? And since phase three are efficacy trials, is 50% effectiveness good enough, a good enough number to go ahead? If we look at phase three trials and the fact that Indian vaccine manufacturers are already in phase three, I think that's really commendable that we've gotten here so fast. Mm -hmm. And one thing that relates to supply is that in April, we had a Gazette notification that stated that for the first time, and especially for SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, manufacturers could manufacture at risk and Mm -hmm. store doses of the vaccine. And this is very unusual because usually what happens in India is that you make enough vaccine for the clinical trials, you take the vaccine through all the stages of clinical trials, you submit for a licensure, and then you have to make a fresh batch of the vaccine, submit that for quality checks, and only then you get a marketing authorization. What the Gazette notification allowed for is that you can make the vaccine ahead of time. And if your trials show that the vaccine works, then you can apply for getting that vaccine into market almost immediately. So significantly cutting down the time to which which it would take to have a vaccine available in the market after the results of the trial come out. Now, of course, the risk with that is that the trial may show that the vaccine doesn't work at all in which case all the investment that the manufacturer has made in making and storing the vaccine is wasted. 
So with, with these phase three trials, if we find that they succeed, then the likelihood is that we will have vaccine very, very quickly after that. So early next year, is that a chance of that? So the way the vaccine trials, phase three trials are set up is that you have to recruit a very large number of participants. And in this case, for phase three, usually in the tens of thousands. When you have mm -hmm. people in the tens of thousands, even if you have multiple sites, it takes some time to recruit. And then in addition to measuring to see whether the vaccine is efficacious or not, does it prevent disease or not, you also have to track safety in these participants. And it has been recommended by the FDA and recommended by the World Health Organization that safety in phase three participants be tracked for a defined period of time in the case of the FDA, they are expecting that people who have entered into the trial, at least half of them should be tracked for two months after receiving the last dose of vaccination. In India, we don't have a defined time for each protocol that will probably be decided separately, but it's very likely that there will be a lag between recruitment and uh, submission of papers for emergency use authorization or licensure because you have a requirement for both the efficacy and the safety data. Whether in India that will be two months or longer will depend on the rate at which people are recruited into the study and will also depend on the rate at which events accrue. And events in the context of a vaccine trial means how many people develop the disease that you are looking at or not. In SARS-CoV-2 vaccine trials, you will have some people receiving the vaccine and some receiving uh, either a comparator vaccine or a placebo which means that you have to count the number of cases that occur in vaccinated people and number of cases that occur in the comparator or placebo arm, expecting that the vaccine arm will have a fewer number of cases to show that the vaccine does prevent disease. Right. So 50% effectiveness, doctor, with a 50 to 70% effective vaccine, how far away from herd immunity? Because zero surveys have shown us that in big cities, we are already looking at more than 30% prevalence uh, of SARS-CoV-2. So I think herd immunity is not something that uh, we should be looking at achieving by infection. Mm -hmm. If we think about it this way, 30% zero prevalence means that 30% of the population has been exposed to infection. Are they protected from subsequent disease? The likelihood is yes, for some time. How much is the protection and how long will it last is not something that we know at this time. So until right. we know more, 
I don't think we should be relying on herd immunity as the only way to protect our population from further spread of infection. With vaccines, we will have vaccines that have been evaluated for their ability to prevent disease and that 50% or 70% or whatever readout we ultimately get, the primary outcome is going to be disease and not infection. Now, disease is testing positive for the virus and having symptoms. The question that we really have for many of these vaccines is, do, are they measuring the right outcome, the right form of disease? Do we want to prevent all disease? Does it matter if we are preventing mild disease? Or do we only want to prevent severe disease? So within that 50 to 70%, what is it that we will be looking at? Are we looking at 70% of mild disease and 30% of severe disease and is that enough for us? So there is a lot of discussion in the field about whether the primary outcomes that have been decided for phase three trials are the right outcomes or not, or will we need follow-on studies to get the outcomes that we want? Once you have that ability to prevent disease, then you can look at does this prevention of disease also result in a prevention of infection? Are you not getting disease because you did not get infected? And for a vaccine, that really is ideal. You want to prevent infection as well as disease. And if you prevent infection, obviously you prevent disease as well. But for a vaccine that is towards an infection that is a mucosal infection, so lung or gut infection, finding a vaccine that prevents infection has always been challenging. So that's why our hopes are focused on vaccines that prevent disease initially, and then we can think about prevention of infection as well. Uh, Doctor, many experts are of the view that we could have. Um maybe three viable candidates. Should the vaccination strategy then account for multiple kinds of COVID vaccines? I think we are going to have um, multiple vaccines that will show us protection from disease. We don't know yet how good that protection is going to be and in whom that protection is going to work. So, so far, the results that we have from immunogenicity studies measuring the immune response in people who have received the vaccine seem to indicate that young people respond better than older individuals. Now, will this play out in the vaccine being less effective in older individuals? It is very possible that that will be the case. We do have phase three studies that are recruiting now older individuals, and we will get immunogenicity readouts from them, but I'm not sure that we will necessarily have efficacy data, and that will need to be gathered after you have emergency use authorization or licensure of the vaccine. 
Now, there may be some vaccines that work better than others in subpopulations. Vaccines that work better in older individuals, vaccines that work better in people with certain kinds of comorbidities, possibly because these vaccines might be vaccines that have an adjuvant that would in enhance the response of the immune system. So when we talk about two or three vaccines being available, that is a good thing because then we can use the characteristics of the vaccines to target them towards different populations. So for example, a vaccine that has different temperature storage requirements might be more applicable for use in cities that have the ability to maintain a cold chain rather than in remote rural areas. And as I said, looking at performance characteristics and subpopulations may depend on which these vaccines are that are successful. Also important to remember that what we are testing now are first generation vaccines. There are about 40 vaccines that are in clinical trials and all of these clinical trials will be completed over varying periods of time from early next year to two or three years down the line. But there are many, many other vaccine candidates that are also in development that will continue to be developed and those have other advantages of scale, of stability, of applicability to other populations as well. Doctor, speaking about the uh, many vaccine candidates that are out there right now, just taking a quick look at what is going on across the world. Um, we have been reading a lot about vaccine trials uh, that are ongoing in different parts of the world and in different countries. And uh, there have also been pauses in a couple of major vaccine trials. Now, while these have also, the trials have also restarted after being paused for a certain amount of time, what does this really mean uh, for vaccine trials across the world and in India? Because one of the vaccine candidates uh, trial that was paused is also being tested in India. And what does it, uh, does it mean that we're speeding up the process too much? If we look at vaccines, the key attributes of vaccines are quality, which speaks to the manufacture, safety and efficacy. Because vaccines are given to healthy people, they have a much higher safety bar than drugs which are given to sick people. So in the evaluation of vaccines, in every phase, phase one, phase two, phase three, safety is a key parameter that is measured. Even with the tens of thousands of people that you give vaccine to in a vaccine trial, that still does not allow you to identify rare side effects that might happen in one of 20,000 or one of 100,000 or one in a million people. And those side effects can only be picked up once the vaccine starts to be in much broader usage. So when we look at safety and how it's evaluated in vaccine trials, every vaccine trial is calibrated or sized to develop vaccine safety, uh, so to measure vaccine safety 
signals in one in thousands of individuals, but not in one in ten thousands or one in hundred thousand individuals. Pre-licensure. That's why safety mechanisms of four vaccines extend beyond licensure and continue through whenever a vaccine is used, wherever it is used. So the safety events that we've seen in the vaccine trials so far and the halting of those vaccine trials is not unusual. This happens all the time in vaccine trials and in drug trials, because what you're doing is you're giving the vaccine to lots and lots of people. Some people will get the vaccine, some people will get a placebo or a comparator, and you don't know who got what. Now, during the period that you follow these individuals up while they are in trials, life continues to happen. And in life, we see all kinds of illnesses and events. You know, you can be hit by a bus, you can fall down the stairs, you can develop a dengue infection, you can develop influenza, you can manifest with a neurological illness that you had all along. And these are unpredictable. You can't decide when a person comes into a vaccine trial that they are more prone to this kind of event than anybody else. So when these kinds of events happen, you have to look to see whether they could be related to the vaccine or not. It may be that the vaccine as a side effect caused a seizure and that was the reason that someone fell down the stairs. Then that event is related to the vaccination. If they just happen to trip and fall, then it's not. So when these events happen, it is the responsibility of the investigators and the sponsors of the study to make sure that they investigate that event in great detail and look for an association with the vaccine. The fact that the trials are continuing now to me indicates that the independent data safety and monitoring board, which is a requirement for all such trials, has reviewed the evidence and has found no reason to stop or modify the trials. In the case of AstraZeneca, the consent form has been modified and I know that there is increased tracking of neurological events just to see whether more such cases emerge and this is something that will continue not just during the trial but afterwards as well until we have a clear signal about whether this is or is not associated with vaccine. Doctor, uh, moving on to immunization, how good is India's immunization program in that we target about 54 million pregnant women and newborns every year, and yet our immunization coverage for children remains around 62%. Is the system equipped to vaccinate 250 million people by July 2021, as the health minister has said? I think we shouldn't exceptionalize India. Our immunization program is the largest in the world. It delivers yes. the maximum number of doses compared to any immunization program. So, you know, 
it may not reach the goals that it wants. And by the way, if you look at um, immunization in the first year of life, uh, at the beginning of 2020, apparently we've gotten up to 90% coverage. So a lot That's has fantastic. been done. Many things had improved. And then obviously with the lockdown, many services were suspended and therefore there has subsequently been a decline in coverage, but the system is trying to catch up. So will this be a challenge for India? Yes, it will. Will this be a challenge for any immunization program in any part of the world? Yes, it will. So what is it that we can do to make sure that we deliver vaccines? And remember, at this stage, we don't know which vaccine, with what kind of cold chain requirements, what doses, what reconstitution systems are going to be required. So if we plan for an immunization program, it needs to be planned in such a way that it could potentially accommodate vaccines that are very different from each other. It's going to be a challenge. And what I would like to see is a immunization strategy that is developed by India that protects routine immunization. That all the programs that we currently have to immunize children and pregnant women are not damaged by layering this requirement of also delivering SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. If that can be ensured, either by the program as it exists now, or with the right kinds of partnerships in the private sector, or you know, by building completely new infrastructure, that would be great. But I think the gains that we have made in immunization over the last 20 years need to be protected as we plan for the delivery of SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. So routine immunizations need to continue even while we are working on the delivery of the new vaccine. Absolutely. No question about that, because it is a worry. In Ebola, you actually had 30,000 people die of Ebola, but so many children did not get routine immunizations that it's predicted that there have been more deaths in West Africa because of measles than there were for Ebola overall. So for SARS-CoV-2, in handling one problem, we should not be magnifying others. Doctor, what are the specific challenges with vaccine distribution in India? Uh, do we have uh, adequate cold storage uh, logistics, for instance? We're talking about if we were to vaccinate the entire country, 1.3 billion people, that mm -hmm. seems a bit overwhelming to start off with. So even if we were to say that we want to vaccinate 20% of the population of the country, and this mm -hmm. is through vaccines that may be available to us through the COVAX facility, then 20% of the population receiving two doses of vaccine each still means that our vaccination program has to be quadrupled in size. 
and that's a challenge for any country any state any delivery system anywhere so i think this is something that requires very very careful planning and uh, identification of all the challenges that we might have the first challenge is when will we get the vaccine how many doses which vaccine will it be what kind of storage conditions are required how do we transport the vaccine how do we reconstitute the vaccine how do we deliver the vaccine how do we train the people who deliver the vaccine how do we make sure that we have enough spirit cotton syringes to deliver the vaccine how do we dispose of the biomedical waste that comes from so many immunization systems there is no end to the challenge <laughs> but i think making sure that resources are available for the purchase of the vaccine the delivery of the vaccine the monitoring of the data that it will be required to see who gets the vaccine and when are all going to be critical challenges for the government what kind of investments in public health uh, do you think doctor are required to achieve the level of mass immunization that we are hoping for immunization is only one of the functions of public health so if we look at public health as being responsible for prevention of disease for promotion of health as well as the first point for delivery of curative therapies there is a lot that needs to be done most of us who belong to the middle class have ways of accessing all of this for ourselves but the bulk of india does not so in terms of what the government is doing with its health and wellness centers what's been laid out in the national health policy that was published from 2017 is actually a road map for providing primary health care in the context of universal coverage and if we can achieve that that would be phenomenal but as the national health policy itself says a policy is only as good as its implementation and i hope <laughs> that we will see that implemented with quality and soon doctor you've spoken earlier about uh, prioritization for vaccine delivery uh what should india's position on prioritization be should it necessarily go first for healthcare workers and others most at risk or should it target those most likely to transmit the virus to others there has been a fair amount of modeling that has been done looking at um questions of prioritization to try and predict what the impact will be and the impact can be in two ways as you said one is the prevention of disease and prevention of death and the other is prevention of spread of infection and it's interesting that the modeling shows that if you aim first preventing disease and death that also has 
an effect on prevention of transmission. If you focus purely on prevention of transmission, that then takes much longer and results in multiple kinds of poor outcomes. So I think it seems to be emerging as the general opinion that focusing on preventing severe disease and death is the best way to go. And for that, the WHO has laid out principles that speak to how you should prioritize. And healthcare workers keep getting brought up and most healthcare workers are young and healthy people. And they are brought up for one of the principles that the WHO has laid down, which is reciprocity. Somebody who is putting themselves in the front lines and is highly exposed to infection should they not be protected first. So modeling exercises have included that as well as which sections of the population should be immunized. And it seems to be emerging quite clearly that for preventing risk of infection and preventing transmission, there is a good case to be made for immunizing healthcare workers. For preventing severe disease and death, there is a good case that is made for prioritizing first the elderly and then those with comorbidities. And then it's interesting that it goes on to think about who else is at risk where, and teachers come up as a category that should be prioritized for infection, not because they will infect the children, but because they will be infected potentially by those whom they are teaching. So as modeling gets refined more and more, I think we'll have a clearer picture of the reasons why we prioritize some occupations and sections of the population over others. Right, last question, Doctor. When uh, can we realistically expect to achieve the common man on the ground for him to get vaccinated? When can we reali realistically expect mass immunization to happen in the country? There are lots of ifs and buts. So if you go realistically, I don't have a realistic answer. I have an optimistic answer, <laughs> which is to say that uh, it's likely that we'll have readouts of vaccines in by the end of this year and the first half of next year, which means that we will start to see a trickle of vaccines in the first half of 2021. And as soon as there is success, there will be an amplification of manufacture on that platform, which means that by the end of 2021, we will start to see large amounts of vaccine becoming available, now immunizing significant proportions of the population. And I anticipate that it will take through 2022 uh, to immunize the bulk of people. It depends on how much emphasis we play place on rolling this out and we learn more as we go along. But I anticipate it would take all of 22 and 23 to get 
almost everybody immunized if everything goes well as i said my optimistic answer do we have a little bit more of a challenge here doctor because most of the vaccines uh, that are being manufactured that are being trialed right now will be in more than one dose right two to three that's right and here is where i think data management is going to be a significant challenge how do you identify when you're going to do phased vaccination who the people who are intended to receive the vaccine are so if it is the elderly who are the elderly where are they located can we get them to come to a place to receive vaccination what if they don't come uh, or do you go home and deliver the vaccine to them and what are the resources that are required to that so moving in that fashion through all of the groups that need to be immunized i think data and its management is going to be a key challenge for the system at this scale uh, thank you so much for speaking to us today dr gagandeep it was a pleasure to have you thank you for having me subeda In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.